Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We've got a full crew today. I'm so excited. Gracie Elvin, hello, welcome. Hey, hey, I'm not going to try and do a funny intro because that never works. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Rowney. G'day, everyone. It's, it's, yeah, no, I've got nothing either. <laughs> I was going to try and say something, but I was like, no, there's nothing. I was going <laughs> to ask Matt, it all to, before. Matt to give us his best joke. Matt, you got any good jokes? Oh, I was going to say, it feels like there's a bit of pressure on me now to say something funny, but um, <laughs> no, hi, it's good good to be here. It's a good thing we're not comedians. Well, we're here to talk about the C-Mac Ladies Store and Anamik Van Vluten. We're going to dive into her career and kind of what she's what she's leaving behind with her last race and yeah, everything, everything having to do with Anamique. Before we dive into all of that, this episode of the Wheel Talk podcast is brought to you by the members of the Escape Collective. Support Escape Collective in a way that suits you best by becoming a member for unlimited access to our web content. Connect with editors and the Escape community on Discord and stay in the loop with our weekly member newsletter. But if Discord isn't your thing and you're not super into newsletters, consider signing up as a reader and you can still get unlimited access to the great at escapecollective.com slash join. Thank you so much to everyone who's already already signed up. It's why we're here. Shout out to the uh, the Wheel Talk crew on Discord chatting about books this week. That was I fun. absolutely love it. This is my long game in ending the podcasts with what we're obsessed with has been to skew the conversation in the wheel talk channel on discord to not bikes. And I have succeeded <laughs> and I am overjoyed because <laughs> there's nothing better than making a bunch of friends because of bikes and then realizing you have other things mm-hmm. in common. You always have that base of bikes, but then you can talk about other things. It's great. I love it. All right. C-Mac ladies tour, the, penultimate stage race for the women in the world tour calendar in Europe. I keep thinking, all right, we're almost done, but we still have the China races to come. Uh, obviously they've been canceled since COVID in, uh, 2020. And so we've been missing those races for three years now, but we're, we get them back this year. So sorry to everyone. We have to go to those races. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate to say that because like they're actually good races. Like they're so well organized. The hotel's nice, yeah. nice courses. They're safe-ish, safe enough. But it's just like such a pain in the ass to go all that way, especially at the end of the season. And you have to get a visa and it's just, oh. If it was in like February, awesome. Yeah. You know? Like there you go, Australia, in the season. Asia, Europe. Yeah, exactly. It makes total sense. But the UCI did not read my problem with the Women's World Tour article, and thus we're still here. We'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> the the one good thing about um, going to Guangxi is that you can go to the UCI gala dinner. I don't know if they're having it this year, but it meant that we got to have a night to dress up and hang out with other cyclists. So that was kind of fun. Everyone likes an excuse to dress up. I do up. remember the pictures from that. Yeah. There was a couple, there was like a year I feel like that there was like there was like a gallery released from the UCI and they were <laughs> it was really funny because it was like you know some cyclists dress up and they just look like amazing and then some put on a dress and you're just like I don't think you want to be wearing that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you do not look comfortable. 
It's like Taylor Wiles, if she ever puts on a dress, you're like, I don't think that doesn't. No, she'd rather wear pantsuits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And that's okay. It's fine. I love a pantsuit. Like, (laughs) me too. She was like, What should I wear to your wedding? And I was like, A jumpsuit. Wear a jumpsuit. I love a jumpsuit. (laughs) All right. C-Mac Ladies Tour. Let's talk about it. Exciting six stages of racing, if I do say. We had the usual SE Works three-stage wins out of six, but I feel like there was a lot that happened in the week that um, showed some cracks in the SE Works situation, Uh, mainly the, the two sprint stages that Webus lost. But we we will talk about it. Should we start with the prologue? The prologue? 2.4 kilometer long prologue, so real short. And when it's a short effort like that, you usually look to the sprinters to take it. And it was Charlotte Cool who took that first stage. Uh, I feel like if anyone who was watching it and saw Lucinda Brand going around those corners, like she was... She was really going for it, but she had a little bit of a mishap um, with a slipped wheel. So she almost almost went down, saved it with her impeccable skills. But yep, in the end, it was uh, Charlotte Cool that took that first stage and the first jersey. And I think that she was, um, she had targeted not just the prologue, but this race in general. So that was a result result for her that was not. Um, not much of a surprise. I feel like for me, Rihanna Marcus in second was more surprising because she's a, as a time trial specialist, like, yes, it's a time trial, but it's such a different effort than like the Dutch national time trial that Marcus would have won earlier in the year. And um, yeah, like her up there with the other top four, we had Lada Kopecky in third and Lorena Weebus in fourth. So like interesting and surprising that Marcus was was in second as well yeah from memory I don't know if yeah if I can remember her ever really featuring in such a short prologue right because she's you think of her as more yeah the longer mountain stages um when we think back to the Spanish races or the long time trial so that was impressive and I also thought I'm sure we're going to talk about her a bit more as well Zoe Backstead had a great prologue and a phenomenal week um so that was someone I was keeping an eye on right from the get-go when I saw she was up there in the mix and wearing the Canyon Shram jersey for the first time. You know, Matt gave me such a hard time about thinking that the prologue was going to make a difference in the race. And I stick to that it it did make a little bit of a difference because the race really came down to seconds. Mm. And um and there were people who lost like 10, 12, 15 seconds, like that were already out of the general classification before before the real racing even started. I maintain that the prologue mattered. I was actually surprised that a few of the, the other trackies didn't feature a bit higher um, because whenever there's such a short prologue, I mean, it's almost a distance of the pursuit. Um, I always think, oh, yeah, definitely this is the one for the trackies. And, like, obviously there were a few of them up there, but um, from the Aussies I thought maybe they would be a little bit higher, even someone like Ali Wollaston. Uh, she was 10 seconds down. Georgia Baker. Yeah, Micah Vandadoon obviously did all right. She was seventh, seven seconds down, but she's she's another um, really phenomenal track rider that I kind of expected to be a little bit 
closer than that. I mean, seventh is still great, but seven seconds when when you kind of look at the distance, seven seconds over two and two point four kilometers a is a massive margin. Yeah, like Charlotte Cool winning by four seconds was super impressive. I think like it's I probably mentioned it, this in different words in the last few weeks, but it's like it's just a weird time of the season as well. So I think some people have a ripper day and some people think that they're going to and then they just don't. So I think it's quite hard to manage your form at this point of the year and it does depend on what you've done already this year. And maybe Rihanna Marcus is a good example of mm. not opening up her account that much in the first half of the season and then, you know, having that awesome peak at nationals and maybe that's doing her some good now and some other riders are just really just trying to use that last yeah, fumes in the tank. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get to Marcus more in a sec, but it was mm. the start of a good week for her until it wasn't, right? Had a really good time trial a few days later again, and then I think she was second overall when she crashed out on the, the penultimate yeah. stage. It's a real shame. Yeah, let's talk about the, the road races. So stage one, um, I think we all expected, okay, there's going to be sprint stages. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be sprint stages this week, and when it's a sprint, it's going to be Lorena Weebus, but... Elisa Balsamo took the first stage um, ahead of Lorena Weebus and Charlotte Cool, and in just love a comeback. She's obviously had a really rough year this year with the crash in Ride London. Um, crashing into the back of the team car took her out for quite some time, and she was still really looking um, like she was flo- floating, flust- flustering? That's not a word. Like she was struggling a bit at the Tour de France Femme. She ended up pulling out near the end and so to see her get a stage win especially in front of Webus was awesome and I think like SC Works was quite hard on themselves about their sprint lead out after the race but it was also like a really amazing effort by the team and like watching the sprint back like the duo of, of Balsamo and Ilaria Sanguinetti is just amazing <laughs> the two of them are like the, the lead out that she kind of had putting Balsamo in the perfect position and things, yeah, things went right for them while things went wrong for SC Works and it ended ended up with a with a win for Elise Balsamo. The, the sprint was interesting in that it looked to me like Sanguinetti actually got in Balsamo's way a little bit when she pulled off. So she pulls off to the left and Balsamo had to go a bit further around than she might have while the others had a straighter run to the line. So... Oh. That made the win even more impressive to me, I thought, the way, the way she navigated that. But just on um, Balsamo's comeback, um, this is her first win since you know since her, since that crash you mentioned, Abby. Since then, she's had a couple of fourth places, a third place, and five second places. So I imagine this will be a huge relief to her to finally get that win and, and also for the team as well. Yeah. Yeah, we talked a little bit last episode, I think it was, about how Little Trek has maybe had a disappointing year this year. Um, it's always nice to kind of hit the end of the season on a high because then you go into the next season with good vibes. It was definitely good to see all the emotion at the end of that stage with all of the little Trek riders. And you could tell, obviously, Balsamo was pretty overjoyed, but everyone else was too. And you could just see, you know, everyone – experiences the hardships of their teammates one way or another. So that was really nice that they could really share that happy moment. Mm-hmm. I, I watched the sprint back a little bit and I think 
um, it was just interesting. It looked like Kopecky was the reason that uh, Weebus got hung up a little bit as well. Like she was looking over her shoulder to the right at Charlotte Cool, who was coming up the inside and like kind of stopped moving for a second. And then that's when Ilaria came around the other side with Balsmo on her wheel. Um, so, I mean, you can't win everything, even if you're SCRX. <laughs> Just as a quick aside on, on Kopecky, um, how cool is it to see the, the rainbow jersey leading somebody out in the sprint? Yeah. Just a small thing, but I just I I love seeing that, and then seeing her later in the race doing the same thing in the leader's jersey as well. It's just I don't know I like those moments where it's just it highlights the the importance of the team and and uh, a rider who's willing to work for her teammate, even though she's the world champion and in later on you know leading the race. Very cool. Although I had to like remember that she was world champion. I was looking for the Belgian jersey. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Dur, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, and then she swapped it out on stage two for, for the leader's jersey, winning the seven-kilometer-long time trial in Leuven on home soil, Belgian soil, um, obviously where the worlds were in 2021 that Balsamo won. So, yeah, returning to that was was pretty cool, and I think th- one of the most notable performances of the day, um, as Lauren mentioned already, was Zoe Backstead. Like, obviously a great ride Sorry. by Kopecky, um, and I laughed out loud at the at the end when she was like, well, I don't want to wear the yellow jersey because <laughs> she didn't want to wear the rainbow <laughs> jersey. And I, I think the internet was mad, but like, come on, that was a joke. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, great ride by Zoe Backstead to be up there. And also like she was in the hot seat for a while, but like I mentioned it last week, but she's on brand new equipment. This is her first race with Canyon SRAM, and she managed to have an incredible ride in the time trial. It was really cool to see. Yeah, amazing. Last week we said um, how hard it is to jump on equipment depending on who you are as a rider. Um, and obviously she's so young too, like just let alone the equipment just to perform at that level is impressive. So I think that uh, the Kenyan Tram team are going to be stoked. I think there might be a few riders on that team maybe not <laughs> as stoked to have someone just come in and be the leader straight away, someone so young. But I think that team is evolving into something new once again. So she seems like she's slotted in very good and easily there. And I think is it, yeah, two episodes ago when it was announced that she was making the shift and we're like, oh, is that a good move going on to a team with your father as a DS? And clearly it's proven to, I mean, she's had some performances this year where you went, oh, yeah, like she's she's going to be something really good in the future for sure. We've always known that since she was a junior. But then this week for me, I was just like, whoa, she really stepped it up. And I just keep reminding myself she's 18, first year pro. Um, so it's like she had a little something extra behind her being on that team. And I think for me, the impressive thing, apart from that third in the time trial is the fact that she was so consistent across the Mm -hmm. week as well. So she was top 10 on four of the six stages, ended the race fifth overall, won the best young rider jersey ahead of Sharon Van Anroy, which is a very good effort. Um, So yeah, very, very bright future. And I think for me, seeing her in Wollongong last year, the way she won the road race there, just attacking from the start and basically riding the whole thing solo was like, okay, she's uh, she's got some talent. And to see her now doing in the pro ranks is pretty, uh, pretty incredible. It is interesting with this team because 
She was the top finisher on the team for her first race on the team in September, very late into the year. And like Kasha, obviously on the attack in the final two stages as, as she does, but it's gotta be a weird dynamic for, for some of the riders definitely to like have her come in and be, cause we talked about it last, last episode, I think talking about Femke Goetze coming into SC works and will, will Demi be excited about that or will she be threatened? And I think that it depends on the team environment, but I do think that Canyon Shram is a team that you would feel a little bit more threatened having a strong rider come in um, because they do really like to go for the same riders time and time again, whether it works or not. Um, so an interesting, it's going to be interesting to see that, how that plays out next year. I do think like there will be some riders that won't care that her dad is the DS and there will be some riders that are potentially a bit irked by that dynamic. I do think, um, though, that it's really great to see riders. You don't actually see it that much in women's cycling. You see it more in men's cycling to have the, um, stagiaire riders coming in mid-season or late season and I I'd like to see that more in women's cycling it's such a great opportunity for young riders to come in later it's good for the team because often there's a few people out by this stage of the year but it's also it means the young riders aren't just dropped straight away into that spring season of racing which is just absolutely brutal and so they can build their confidence in some of these races especially stage racing so, like, what a perfect start for someone like Zoe Buxted to come into a world tour level tour, but one that is, it's not easy, but it's like a kinder environment than um, the first half of the season. And she can build, yeah, she can build her skills and more importantly, her confidence. And next year, she's going to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. I think, like, uh, Chloe Hoskin, one of her, her breakout performances way back in like 2009 or 10 was that she'd raced on like a small club team in the Netherlands and then got an opportunity maybe with HTC actually as a stage year. And I think Holland Ladies is where she broke out and really stood out to everyone as like, wow, okay, this could be could be a ride. And it's, it got me thinking about this whole under 23 category as well and what we saw at Tour de Lavinia. I'm sure you guys spoke about it last week, but um having those top world tour under 23 riders going and dominated and i was talking to to someone about the aussies who had gone in and how many um just riders in general dnf that race because the level between the like the zoe backsteads of the world and then perhaps under 23 riders who maybe have gone to university and are juggling cycling and studying and just can't aren't quite at that level how how do they fit into the equation then um you know Twitter 11 years meant to be this race uh the race of the future to to showcase the future and it's like the names that we paid attention to were just the names that we already know actually as the future talent so it was something uh i don't know if you probably discussed it last week but it was something i was thinking about um and a good point by gracie actually this would be a great opportunity to throw in a few of those u23 riders that have maybe come over to europe and have raced um on a lower level but are looking for that opportunity at the end of the season to step up and 
quite often we see those people going to races like Tour of Ardesh and whatnot, but um, they don't. Those races don't often get the same attention, and it's very suited to a specific rider, Ardesh. Whereas Holland Ladies Tour has a variety of stages that, um, depending on your style of racing, you can sort of show yourself. I have it on good authority that uh, FDJ Suez showed up to Ardesh with like a full squad behind Marta Cavalli purely to help her get her confidence back. Like they're just using it as a as a confidence booster for her, basically. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think years ago you get a few top riders showing up there, but it was more the climbing riders, and it was also determined like whether you went to that race based on the world's course so if it was a super hilly world's course then it makes sense to go and race up a few mountains and really hard stages but the the level um and i haven't really paid much attention to that race other than just scrolling through results uh it seems the level isn't sometimes as high as it maybe used to be um the the year that i did it one of the years i did it the canyon stram team was there and kasha won um, but it was, and then like the U S had a team there that was their world's team. Like they just brought their world's team to our dash before, mm. before the world, which I believe it would have been 20, it was 2018. I can't remember which worlds that was. Um, in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Hilly. Yeah. 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 But actually having those two teams there made the race, um, made the race better. I think than had it, had they not been there, like there was a little bit more control and there was like a, it was like a drop of control and professionalism that made the race make sense, but it wasn't enough to completely suffocate all of the other teams that were there, which is uh-huh. interesting. I feel like it's a, it's a bit the same this year with FDJ being there. Like, yes, they're a world tour team that has won world tour races, but I think, having them there they've only won the they've only won one stage and they're not even leading the overall um but having them there is still kind of balanced out the the inexperienced riders if that makes sense i don't know it's like such a that is that's it comes down to balance i guess at the end of the day um if you have like if sc works was there i'm sure that it would be a bit more of a vlogging <laughs> but um anyway yeah i'm sure we could we could keep this going but i'm gonna divert back to the cmac ladies tour and back to the time trial because i wanted to talk a little bit about anna henderson obviously she had a great performance at worlds getting fourth in the time trial at worlds and then had some bad luck in the road race but she was fourth in the time trial here and ended up on the podium of the overall mostly because her teammate crashed out but I feel like I'm just really excited about her as a rider like I think every every year she kind of gets better and better and I think it's a little bit of a slow burn for her but that means hopefully that it'll be it'll last longer um so I I thought that this race was like similar to Zoe, she was really consistent over all of the stages and maybe she didn't, she wasn't attacking and she wasn't out there like making the race, but she's still just chipping away at becoming one of those top riders. And I, and I just, 
I love to see it. I feel like Anna Henderson is, a, just in general, she seems to be a super consistent writer, whether she's working, um, well, she's mostly working for the team, but when she has her own opportunities too. So I guess, yeah, Matt would probably have maybe more stats on her, but if you went through her seasons, all the past seasons, since we've really noticed her, um, she is just one of those writers who's consistently there. She's consistently in the front group. She's only 24 too. Like she's, she seems older than she is in some ways because she's, she, we talk about her, we have talked about her now for a couple of years. I just think, yeah, if she really believes in herself, seems like she does. I don't know her at all, but yeah, if I was to give her any advice, it's just like, just keep chipping away. It's just one of those sports that, yes, sometimes you have to just be a freak, but like, there's actually not that many freaks in the sport and everyone else is just working really hard and it's just year in, year out. And something that I really like about her is that she's consistently finishing hard races. She's consistently attacking in hard races. She's putting her nose out there and that's just going to make you so strong if you just keep doing that and just don't get disheartened by the fact that you're not winning or even on the podium. Like, getting fourth, fifths, top tens like that is actually great because that breakthrough moment is actually closer than you think. So I think that she, yeah, I hope, I hope that she's going to have a really strong season next year because she's certainly on her way to it. What's her best chance of taking a big win, do we think? Because we talked about her time trialing, which is obviously strong. We talk about her being an aggressive rider. She was also up there in the sprint on the next stage that we're about to talk about. She was the one that kind of kicked off the sprint there. So what's what's her best chance of, of getting a big breakthrough win? Uh, I think it needs to be like a solo, solo move to get her first win. Like she obviously, she doesn't have a kick to win a bunch sprint or even a reduced sprint. If, if she's going to take, a road race, it has to be like a solo move or like a three-person move that like she can outsmart them in the end, maybe. I mean, I know like I talked to her at the Tour de France Femme. She watches every single race back uh, to see like how things were won. She's she's not only is she like be getting better physically every year, she's also really dedicated to like learning the craft um, which is really cool. And I mm. think because of that, it's, it will be a tactical thing that she, when she eventually takes the first, her first big win. But I think it could also be a time trial. Cause I think she's, she's chipping away at that every year. Like she's getting stronger and stronger in that discipline every year. And like the world's TT was a surprise to her that she did as well as she did, but I, you only have to have one really good time trial to be like, I'm a time trialist now and start working on the marginal gains in that aspect. And once you kind of start working on those, sometimes it can go the way of like, you just had a good time trial and it's all downhill from here. (laughs) But sometimes, uh, like things have to go right, you know, like mentally things have to go right to have a good time trial. Um, and, and sometimes it's a one-off, but sometimes if you just put a little bit more effort in, you get better and better. So I think it's really, it's going to be like, yeah, solo, whether that's on the time trial bike or in a road race, I think that's her best chance. And I think in terms of the, the classics, she could suit any number of them because she is a good climber. Her time trialing as well has become a really a strong 
um, sort of aspect of her as a writer. And yeah, like you were saying, Abby, it's, yeah, I could see it as well. Definitely being a solo move where it's been a super hard race. The group is reduced. Um, and we do see those moments sometimes where riders are starting to look at each other, but then it's, it's a numbers game too. So, you know, if Yumbo Visma has the right composition in the front group too, and there's a lot of pressure on, she could be one of those riders who attacks and holds the gap then because she is strong enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if she has Voss behind, or if if Voss is back to Voss form next year and she's behind and no one wants to, like, pull because Voss or, Vol- or um, Weebus is there, then it's over. It just has to, like, many things need to fall fall into place, but that's bike racing, so... I think she can do it though. I could see a winning uh I could see a winning bender a race like that who can I was going to say yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me a bit of Van yeah. Anroy's win this year, right? Like a, a very good rider who'd been close and who just needed a bunch of things just to fall her way and then when she did she took the opportunity. It feels like a similar kind of yeah. thing with Henderson, yeah. I reckon. And also like the Binda is never as stacked as the the Dutch or Belgian one days, and I think if she's for her to for that first win, it probably wouldn't be Flanders. Like I think it would have to be a small like not that Binda. Well, Binda is a smaller race. Like if we're being honest, like a smaller race where she would have she wouldn't be up against Vollering basically. And also Flanders as Gracie. <laughs> can probably all tell us everything all ducks have to line up in a row for that race like you've you've got to be on it there's a lot of ducks it's really (laughs) just like so many things have to go right for for it to unfold that you're even in in with a chance at winning so yeah yeah she should target like something or even like um, Omloop van Hageland. Yeah, or actually Newsblood. Sometimes we see winners that you think, okay, it's going to be like a, a Vollering or a, a Demi, and then it's it's someone Same unexpected. Person. It's going to be Capecchi. Oh, a Capecchi <laughs> or a Vollering. <laughs> I got you. I got you. A- another great, yeah, I- I'm excited about her. I feel like I've been kind of picking her for a while, and I'm I'm ready for that to pay off. All right, stage three was a... Charlotte a cool victory um this was another interesting one in the sprint very cool yeah um (laughs) another interesting one in the sprint where uh Weebus was behind Jayco Alula and got held up a bit by it looked like Georgia Baker was leading out Letitia Letitia Paternoster and um Weebus had to kind of like do a side side move not pedaling to get around the two of them um which held her up a bit but I think like Cool was also looking really strong and really fast and was well well positioned and did a great job in this sprint. So a great win by Cool and Balsamo third. So same podium, different mix. From the front on shot, the gap that Weavis got through between the Jayco Rise and Henderson looked like it wasn't <laughs> there at all. And pretty pretty incredible. And then Henderson actually did a really good job of staying upright because she kind of got squeezed into the barriers and kind of had to shimmy a little bit to stay upright. Um, as she drifted backwards. But yeah, I think just when Weavis went to the left and Cool went to the right, just having that slightly mm. clearer run probably helped Cool out, I think. Um, 
But yeah, really cool. <laughs> it was a great finish. And I think just exciting for the race to have three sprint stages, not to spoil anything, but three sprint stages with three exactly. different winners. It could so easily have gone three to Ebus, but as we said, exciting for Balsamo to get back on mm. the winner's list. Always good to see Charlotte Cool winning stages and to just have it spread around like that, I think went a long way to making it feel like even though SD Works were all over the race, they didn't dominate it as much as they possibly could have. And Cool said after the race that like they they put their hands in the air and were like, we're not going to work. Um you got you, SC Works has the yellow jersey and the best sprinter, so it's up to you. And unlike the tour where they did that and it ended in disaster, it worked out this time for them. <laughs> SC Works actually did the work, and uh, yeah, Cool took the spoils. <laughs> <laughs> but SC Works got revenge the next day by going one two on the Cowberg on the the Queen stage, if you will. Um, for a second there, it looked like it might be a Kashiniwadoma victory, um, which would have been a cool moment after like the, yeah, one of the last races she won was Amso Gold. So would have been kind of cool for like a Kasha resurgence <laughs> on the Cowberg, but. She loves to go early on that climb, doesn't she? She, she really just loves does. that climb. Yeah, she, she loves does. that climb. She just loves I- to time things questionably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she ended up third on the stage behind Kapeki and Weebus. I feel like, um, but a rider worth mentioning in this, in this scenario and also in the final stage is Flirty Mackay, mm. who was on the attack, trying things, trying to get up the road. She's always been like a super aggressive rider, yeah. even when she was on Sunweb. I feel like she's done a great job kind of doing the work this year. And it felt like in this race, there's been a couple times when they've been like, all right, you can, you do your thing. And then this race was definitely one of those times. And, um, yeah, the, the last stage was the most confusing finish ever, but like this one, yeah, she was, she was off the front for a bit. I thought that she maybe had it. It was like, yeah. Yeah. Well, with a shorter finish, because with Amstel, obviously you go long over the top. So, so much can happen between cresting and that final uh, finishing straight, but with the the sharp left-hand turn and then boom, the finish was there. I was crossing my fingers for her because I think the commentator was saying she's won nine races in her career. And for me, I was like, oh, I thought, I mean, nine races are still really good, nine races, but I thought somehow it was more, but she's always around the mark, but never, not often on the top step, but yeah. Yeah. Seems like she's had a quiet few years. Mm. She's still been like one of the top 20, top 30 riders in general, but just not quite what we were expecting when she was younger coming through. And I feel like maybe she's just coming into that nice age now where she's gotten some good strength. She's in a good team environment. Um, Maybe we're going to see more from her going forward. But, yeah, certainly a great attack. But, um I will definitely eat my words now because Lorena Webus did oh, get yeah. over that climb. Mm-hmm. And I said last week that she Me was too. not going to do that. <laughs> I think I said that. I thought ha, it ha, at ha. least. I was right. <laughs> so no, kudos that was, to her. That was a yeah. ripper climb, really. Mm-hmm. She was gassed. At, like, of course she gassed, but, like, she was hurting after that finish. <laughs> so that was cool. I'm happy to be wrong when you get to see stuff like that happen. 
you know, we've talked a lot this year about how she's a better climber than people give her credit for and she's improved her climbing, but that was the most impressive thing I've probably seen her do climbing-wise. And yeah, to just hang on there at the end was was super impressive and then go one two as well just for the just for the rub-ins as well on yeah, the <laughs> kind of look like um Kopecky was waiting for her just a tiny bit but like also not they weren't like riding four weebus but it looked like Kopecky was looking around a bit just to just keep an eye on weebus but she just kind of knew that she had to take the stage herself instead but yeah I thought it was interesting what was going on with those two with Neodoma. Like not in a bad way, just like in a, like they're giving Weebus a shot to try and prove herself up here. So that's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking actually like when Kepeki, you know, she she put in that dig as they were cresting and then she's like looking back and I was wondering if she's thinking, hey, man, you're still here, you're still holding on. This is impressive. But like I think, yeah, Weebers has shown that she can climb. And going back to the the Flanders discussion, I think that that's definitely a race in the future. We all probably assume she's going to be able to take um take that race out. I assume. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if Kopecky was looking back going, Oh, this is actually a problem if you're able to <laughs> yeah, climb this well. I've just lost a bunch of my own opportunities <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next year. <laughs> we been showing up to the Ardennes as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stop following of- me. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the Ardennes, I feel like worth mentioning that Demi was at the race and didn't start on this stage uh, due to illness. So um, they were able to take one, two, even without Demi Bollering. And I said in the pre in the race report on escape that we were potentially saved, a an SC works one, two, three by Demi, um, not being there because it would have been a great finish for her also. So the other, the other worth mentioning, I think we already mentioned it once, but just in a, because I'm trying to be linear with, while still having our, uh, veers off into different conversations. This was the stage that Rihanna Marcus crashed Mm. along with Lucinda Brand. Lucinda Brand looked like she hit the ground so hard. Um, luckily no broken bones because she was cradling her arm like you, you would expect a broken collarbone, but it was just some ligaments that she, she tore or stretched or something. So she's hopefully going to be fine for the upcoming cycle cross season. But yeah, Rihanna Marcus out and she was second overall before the start of the stage by five seconds. So, or two seconds, sorry. So a huge bummer, um, for, for Rihanna Marcus but not so much Yambo Visma. They salvaged it in the end. Um, the final stage was great, aggressive, came down to a group of like 26 with a very long Kashinima Doma attack. Um, she was caught in the final two kilometers and then Flirty Mackay made an attack and then no one knew what was going on at all. And then Lorena Weavis was winning the sprint <laughs> with uh, with Elisa Balsamo taking second and Kapeki taking third. Um just a ri- ridiculous. I felt so bad for Jose. Like, wait, <laughs> did Capec- did uh, Flirty Mackay get caught or not? Because it was so. It was just the <laughs> yeah, overhead. That was hilarious. And, like... The camera angle. Oh, there was then... lots of bad camera angles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is it looking at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, that was it was confusing. I I actually thought I, for a second I was like, wait, did Floyd McKay? Because they had the finish line shot, like just just literally, you know, the finish line shot of the finish line, but there was no wheels going over it, and I was like <laughs> so confused. Uh, but yeah, Webus did get her her sprint win in the end, win in the end in the final stage. Yeah, they finally nailed that that lead out in a reduced group. And I think in the interview afterwards, did she say she prefers it when it's a reduced bunch sprint because the pressure is off then? Yeah. yeah. Who wouldn't though? Even even Weebus. Then you only have to beat even Weebus, like even the one of the best bike riders in the world. You only have to beat twenty five riders instead of having to beat a hundred. Although only 62 riders uh, finished this stage. There was a bunch of riders that, that DNF'd. It's a hard stage, to be fair. It's often the case, I feel, with, with this stage race. I think I DNF'd the, the last stage all the time. It's like I'm done, I'm out. It was usually the yeah, Calberg as well. Yeah, like, too. Oh, the weather was crap or something. You're like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the weather Not- for them this week was good, but it was hot. Um, what was yes. it? The second stage that they almost, they almost shortened for like the hot weather protocol, and they ended up, ended up not. But yeah, there was like a couple days that were just ugh, super yeah, hot. It's been pretty horrendous up here. Yeah. So in the end, Lodakapeki wins another one um, in a completely unsurprising turn of events. But we got to talk about the rider who finished last on the final stage, five and a half minutes down. (laughs) Anne Van Vluten. Van Vluten rode her final bike race. She crossed the line and was greeted by her mom and promptly surrounded by a mob of fans and journalists. Um, And I'm so excited that we have the the two of you, and especially you, Gracie, on the podcast today to kind of talk about Anamique and her career, because obviously you were there for the beginning of the Anamique dominance. Um, I Matt wrote a really awesome piece on the site compiling a bunch of images from her career from the beginning all the way through. Uh, so you should definitely check that out. And I also um, pulled together some, some quotes from current and past teammates and some uh, social media bits. So a lot of people have, have things to say about Anamique retiring, but I think, yeah, it was, um, it was cool to see her rolling across the line with her arms in the air, um, not winning the race, but the last time that she can do that. And yeah, she's been, she's been a huge influence on the sport. Um, she's been a major talking point for us since we started this podcast, Lauren, in 2017, (laughs) we've talked about her almost every episode and (laughs) yeah, it's going to be, um, going to be really weird in a week when we talk about the tour to Romandy and we don't mention Anami Van Vluten. There's a hilltop finish too. Like we, we won't, won't utter the name Well, we might, but, (laughs) but yeah, (laughs) the last, the last bike race of Anami Van Vluten. Well, and it was fitting it was in the Netherlands, right? How nice to have a final race in, in your home country where it all began. And I think what what's one of the most interesting things with her is her evolution as a writer. Um, and Matt, I haven't read your piece, but I'm sure the images would tell a bit of a story there that how Anamique actually started out all those years ago. I think in, was it 20, 2000 and was it eight or nine? Her 2000. first seven. 2007 was her, she rode the Holland Ladies Tour 
as her first ever professional race and she DNF the first stage. Yeah. So, but just, I think when I entered the sport, um, she was a name I knew, but I always thought of her, yeah, as that more classics type rider, how often most of the duchies were perceived. Um, and then over the years, she's evolved into this grand tour rider um, who's winning mountaintop finishes. And yeah, so I, I find the evolution of her as an athlete has been interesting. I think Gracie and I actually that year, 2016, when she went to Orica AIS, um, that was when the, I think for me that she was really evolving into that different type of rider. And actually at the start of the season, I think she had her eye on a lot of the sort of classic type races and you, Gracie, you and her were quite a good team um, in terms of being there in the finales uh, for our team. And it wasn't till Rio when she climbed with Mara Abbott that I was like, holy shit, like that was like a big moment where, you know, Mara Abbott at that point was the best climber, one of the best climbers in the world, if not the best. And it was like, wow, anime can do that. And then from there on, she just became this different type of athlete. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's sweet that we have you here, Gracie, because I think you were you were there when she kind of at the encouraging of the management at Orica AIS that she pivoted to become a GC rider, and obviously it, in doing so, completely changed the game when it came to uh -huh. stage racing in the women's sport. Nice. It was yeah, interesting to see it all unfold. Um, exciting to be part of it along for the ride in a lot of ways. Um, we like Anamik and I just clicked straight away. I really enjoyed her company at that first training camp that you were there for Lauren as well. We had, a, we always had pretty good training camps. We had a lot of team bonding stuff and she was much like foreigners coming into an Aussie team, a little bit timid at first because they don't quite get the Aussie. <laughs> not even not even the humor or anything but just what we were trying to do in that team but she got it really quickly and she just immersed herself in the uh, green edge culture really quickly and um, had so much fun racing with her that year and I trained with her for two weeks in Lavinio in the mountains before Rio and we did so much climbing like that was the fittest I'd been up until that point but I was like almost crying after every day, like on some of these mountaintops, not because I was upset or anything, but I just was empty. I was completely empty, just like that hunger flat crying that you do. Um, and my um, ex-husband was there with us. And so we would do these epic days and they were just awesome. And we did some of the toughest climbs, but they were way ahead of me. I would just climb at my own pace and do what, what I could do to just get up these mountains. And I remember Stu saying just quietly to a few people saying, oh, if you're if you're into betting, I'd put money on Anamique at Rio. He just he could just see like he'd never seen a woman climb like that before. Um and then she did what she did at Rio. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that awful crash happened. I didn't even know that she'd crashed because I was so far behind that race. I was like one of the last riders in that race. So the first time I found out about the crash was in my post-race interview. Uh, I got to see her the next day in hospital and it was really upsetting um, just to see what had happened to her physically but also, you know, what she'd lost really. Um, 
which is an Olympic gold medal. And then just that was really what I got to see. I'm sure other people had seen it in years previous on other teams, but that was my first experience of seeing her resilience come out. And she had concussion, like quite uh, pretty bad concussion, and she kept swinging herself out of this hospital bed and the nurse would come rushing in like, stop, 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 you have a broken back. And she'd be like, oh, okay, and she'd like lie back down. Five minutes later she'd like try and get back up again because she couldn't remember. And she just couldn't stop asking us like, how do I get over concussion? How do I like come back into training? Like she was already focused that very next day on her comeback. And one month later she won the tour in Belgium. Yeah. And that was it. They, that over that off season, that was where they started talking about some of those GC plans. And then it just took off from there. So it was cool to see that in real time happening play out and seeing some of that resilience. And she'd had quite a number of serious crashes in the years after that as well. And she would just bounce back like no one else I'd ever seen. The dedication she puts into her recovery as well as her training, like we all know she loves going to altitude, but she puts in meticulous effort over every aspect of cycling and you definitely have to respect her for that I know a lot of riders including myself maybe weren't prepared to live like that as an athlete because ultimately that's a choice you have to make for yourself of how much you want to give to the sport Um, and so she was just one of those people that was able to give 100% of herself to the sport alongside her natural talents and her resilience that's what made her a champion and some of us just couldn't keep up for all of those reasons so yeah she's an incredible person as well as an incredible athlete and yeah just to be a teammate with her and and watch some of those moments happening they're the kind of moments that you see sometimes on movies about sports people like and to see that happening to a friend or to, to see a friend pushing themselves mentally to the to the edge is yeah, it's, it's kind of a wonder in some ways to to see that in real life. You think Gracie after Rio, I always thought there was something that just switched in her head, something clicked. Mm. Like she always had the the ability to do what she did, but I always perceived her as like you said, um, like most professional athletes, you're professional, but at the same time, like I know my personality, if it was all-consuming, that's when I just couldn't do it anymore, um, when you start to lose really who you, yourself is in a sense. Um, but I feel like, yeah, after Rio, it was something really just clicked and that was it. It was done. The She had this grand ambition and she was going to go after it and – nothing was going to get in her way of of achieving that. Yeah. But again, going back to what you just said, it's it's a personality thing too because it is being a professional athlete is so consuming um, and I always found it to be such a selfish endeavour that I struggled with that myself and I don't think I could ever get the best out of myself because there was just so much give and take 
Um, and you have that in life, but it was just too much at points. Um, you know, you miss out on so many things in life too, um, particularly being a foreigner, life events happening back home. Uh, like when my mum had cancer, I had to just get on a plane and go to Europe and act like, you know, she was fine back in Australia. So, um, yeah, it's it's this admiration but for anime, but also not being able to comprehend or understand that mentality. And I think yeah. that's actually how the Peloton felt about her. It was like in awe of this person. And I think, um, you know, at the Giro in, when was it, 2020 or 2019 when she was called the alien because it's like, you know, she she's your peer and you know her as a person, but at the same time it's uh, her approach to, to everything to do with sport was just, um, yeah, I couldn't, I can't comprehend it. It's extreme and in a lot of ways it's unrelatable and I think that yeah. was one of the main problems that many of her teammates and rivals had with her. I think, yeah, for some people it just, you know, that feeling of un being able to not relate to someone can manifest into just, wow, good for you, respect, whereas other people would see it as a threat. So, yeah, I think everyone had their own views on Anamique and even now I've spoken to writers in the last couple of years and they've said, I'm just not prepared to do that kind of life. And also you heard um, Demi Vollering say in her interview at Post Tour de France Fun this year that she really puts a lot of effort into finding her balance of being happy and doing what she wants to do. And I I really took that as with that undertone of I'm not prepared to to live like Anamique. <laughs> and it wasn't in a disrespectful tone, but it was in a this is my choice and this is how I'm going to do it. And I think that is also a good role model. They're both so different. They're both able to win the Tour de France Femme. I think a lot of young riders need to know that you don't have to live like Anamique. You can take elements from her and definitely be inspired by her, but you don't need to do exactly what she did to be a champion. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I feel like the the biggest takeaway this weekend with the peloton and watching her retire and listening to a lot of what people had to say is just yeah like awe of, awe of her dedication um and also like gratefulness for what she did change in the sport which is i mean she really did elevate the level of professionalism like almost single-handedly um and like altitude and stuff wasn't something everyone did and now they do um and I think, yeah, like, I feel, I feel for me it's been an interesting um, couple years with Anamique because I definitely, there were some years there where I really, the dominance was a bit much and I, and it was a bit exhausting. Um, and I think in the last year I've grown to really love her as a rider and, and what she's able to achieve and like how incredible she is on the bike. Um, no, I maintain that she looks just awful on a bike, but what she can do with said bike is amazing. Um, I think one of the, one of the moments for me that really changed my perception of Anamique was after she won the tour and, and she was giving that interview with you, Gracie, like, she was just so human in that moment. And I feel like that was a moment when I was like, okay, like she's insane on a bike, but she is just a human. And I think 
if you didn't come out of this year just loving her, like every single post-race interview she gave, it wasn't like years past where she's been like, oh, the race wasn't hard enough and that's why I didn't win. Um, This year she was, it seemed like every interview she gave, she was just really happy to be there and really happy to be part of the race, whether she won or lost. And I think like, especially at the Tour de France Femme, um, she didn't make any excuses for losing the race or not having the legs. She just, she was really honest and it wasn't, like, oh, I was sick or, oh, like X, Y, Z happened or whatever. Um, so that was, yeah, I don't know. I think my feelings about her while in the past have been not always the best. Uh, I definitely have grown to really, really, really like her this year. And I'm, I'm going to miss her a lot. I think in the Peloton and just like, um, miss that, um, consistency of knowing that if you're going into a stage race that Anamique will be one of the contenders like that we will not have that next year I, I'm so curious to see what's going to happen next year without Anamique when it comes to the Grand Tours and it comes to Demi Vollering and somebody beating Demi Vollering it's like we've traded one mm-hmm. completely insanely strong rider who is able to dominate every climb <laughs> for another who is even more versatile in a way. Uh, so we need someone to come in and overthrow the Dutch. That's I mean, a Anna, Anna Meek, Jimmy, come on. Yeah, seriously. Like, okay, we've got the Capecchi effect going. Belgium's going to step it up. They've always got this weird rivalry going on. I maintain that the Italians are still coming for that. That whole, yeah. like, yeah. <sighs> But the Italians Prisco have had it in the year. past. We need yeah, we need yeah. someone else. Uh, the Germans. That's who we. The Aussies. Right. We need yeah, the, Aussies the Aussies to come. We Ooh, definitely need the Aussies. They're so they've been so close for so long. Um, this kind of it's we're closing out an era though, not quite. But having Van der Breggen leaving two years ago, now Van Vluten, um, a couple of other bigger names that have retired over the last few years. We've still got some of this era left, uh, Niwa Doma, Dagnan, Longo Borghini, just to name a few, but they're not going to be around for that much longer. Uh, of course, perennial Voss, who's never going to retire. Don't need to count her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, like this, it's it's the really anemic. Van der Breggen, yes, but definitely anemic. It's a real mark, a mark in time of the changing of the guard. Yeah, I agree. I think you had like 12 years ago when your Judith Arntz and your Ina Yoko Tudenbergs were trying that generation and then the new generation was coming through and now it's, yeah, it's a changing of the guard or handing over the baton, as you would say. All those things, yeah. All those things. So it's exciting, but it's um, actually my, my boss was saying to me, oh, do you still know some of the people racing? And I was like, yeah, there are still names that when I was racing um, are racing, like in their, their 30s. But now, like, I'm turning 35 in a month. And like Gracie said, in a few years, actually, everyone that we've raced against um, will no longer be there. Or just the really young ones who are starting will now be the the ones actually leading the way. So it's exciting. Um Means they're gonna have to do a lot more homework. Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, 
we actually have to like work at our job. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just going, Instead I know exactly chatting. what they're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Anamie would ever want to like jump on our podcast and chat about, I don't know, if she'd ever want to watch Flanders with us. That'd be cool. She'd be great for the tour, actually. She would. If she's not gallivanting around the world. We don't know which what I'm she's sure she's do. going to do. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's an avid traveler. I'm sure she's going to go do some cool things. I wonder mm-hmm. if she'll stay like in the Movistar bubble and do something with, or like in the cycling bubble at least. Like I know she's really enjoyed being at Movistar. Like I don't know, maybe if she's. I don't know if she would be a DS, but like there's um there's men that retire that have like hyper focus as well. Like and and go into being performance director or mm-hmm. something along those lines. Like. Yeah, I, th- I feel like she could do something like she'd be a good um, person similar to Kunda Court and go into like um, technology development or something because she's oh. like all about the aero, as we know. She she knows a lot of s- stuff about her equipment. So I, I, I do want to say two things not about Animeg but related in that there's two other Green Edge alumni that also announced their retirement that are getting majorly overshadowed by Anna Meek's retirement. And so I just want to like... Pecky even got overshadowed for winning (laughs) SIBA. Anna Meek spent significantly more time on the podium than Anna Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to give some love and shout out to Jess Allen and Georgia Williams because they've been a big part of that team or big part of green edge as well for a really long time and have added invaluable amounts to the team so i just wanted to say a big thank you to them as well because yeah anamik of course is amazing and her results list is very long but there's other riders around that have done a really good job and maybe just not gotten that much recognition for it so thank you jess and georgia yeah, I, everyone, I hope, will remember uh, Jess's audio diaries from the Tour de France Femme this year that were just phenomenal. Um, she's such a character and, like, just so so easygoing and happy and fun to have around. Like, I feel like she just always brings brings the jokes. <laughs> so She's um, just a bundle of joy. She's yeah. really a wonderful human being. So I'm yeah. sure whatever Jess does, I don't know what she's going to do post, uh, maybe Gracie has an idea, post-cycling, but um, she'll be great. Yeah, I think both Jess and Georgia can add heaps of value to a team after their racing days are over. So whatever team gets to have them will be very lucky. Oh, that's something to speculate I, about. <laughs> I well, Georgia said something about, staying in oh, the sport was, on her Instagram yeah, exactly. posts. So, yeah. And I think Je- Jess is still figuring it out, but I think she's, yeah. She'll she said she would be, be cycling adjacent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she loves Girona. That's her home. So, yeah, I, I, um, I feel like Georgia's done some, been a great presence with the, with the EF team this year. And I know that team is continuing in a different form. I wonder if she'll. That'd be cool to see her kind of take up a director role at EF, um, especially since she knows the girls. Like I know there's there's like a fine line between going one year from being a writer to a director, but some writers do it really well. So that'd be, yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like she would be one that would, but we'll see. We'll keep our eyes and ears to the ground on that. But thanks so much for bringing that up because it's a good point. A lot of 
a lot of Vonamique, but there's other <laughs> there's other writers doing stuff in the world. Should we wrap up this episode? Um, we got Tour de Romandy coming up this weekend, three stages, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there will be a preview on escapecollective.com, so check that out for my thoughts, our picks, and whatnot to close out the episode. I'm so excited to talk about what I'm obsessed with. Just go. go. (laughs) All right. I am obsessed with a new Netflix show called One Piece, which is, yeah, it is a a charming tale of a band of um, misfit pirates. Okay, that is very Abby. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's a manga series. Like it, you, they've done yeah. um, many, many seasons of like anime, and Netflix has made it into a a real person uh, show. And I'm skeptical, like never really know like how that's gonna go. But I feel they've done an amazing job, and it, I'm I'm loving the show like absolutely loving it it is hilarious but also like great plot as you would expect but netflix is remaking avatar the last airbender with real people and that is an undertaking that has been done um just horribly like just the just god awful the last time that it was that it was done and so that they've successfully at least up until episode five that i'm on made one piece gives me hope for the future of avatar the last airbender one of the top three shows ever made in the history of the world what are the other two abby that's what i'm obsessed with definitely gilmore girls uh is up there. <laughs> i would say gilmore girls and scrubs for me hmm. oh Not but bad. pushing daisies is a really really good show you know firefly is also like a really really firefly good is good you know, there's a lot of good shows. Fireflies. Yeah, there's a lot of really good shows. Can I make? I probably made this confession already, but I just watched Charmed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Did you watch all seasons? No, I'm up to season. I'm like halfway through season six. There's eight seasons. It's just like it's just the worst, and that it's just so good because it's so bad. <laughs> Is it on Netflix? Uh, Stan. I don't uh, know what if it might be in Belgium Netflix, but mm. yeah, it's not quality TV. It's not in the top five shows, that's for sure. But it's very easy to watch. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer definitely though is in the top five. Oh, that's a good one. I feel like that guy, the guy that made that show, I will not name him. He's made some great stuff, and it's just a bummer that he sucks as a human. Why does that always happen? Mm. <laughs> anyway. Anyone else? Obsessions? <laughs> I'm obsessed with DIY. Every time I have a project to do, I get like tradies to come and do quotes and then I'm like, fuck that. And I just do it myself. <laughs> you did such a great job thought, with the garage that we, the yeah, pictures I've seen. It's good. I'm currently painting timber to make a pergola. You're making a pergola? Well, someone, dad, Kimberly's dad is going to help us, and then I'm going to get my dad to help me with some landscaping. Oh, nice. And we'll see where we go That's from great. there. <laughs> I love it. Can you come over next summer again and hang out after the tour, potentially? 
<laughs> and do some landscaping in our new place <laughs> because I've looked at the garden and I've like got all these ideas. I'm like, you're never going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been obsessed with a TV show too, which is um, from another podcast listening to it. It was called Cruel Summer on Prime um, and it's about two girls. It's good. It was. It, I think it's based on a book. I'm not sure, but it's about two girls and whether. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go into too much details. But cruel summer. That's what I was obsessed with for the past week. I binge watched. Is it a horror show? No, but it's pretty awful. Like one of the characters is definitely a sociopath. Is it like Pretty Little Liars? Like eh, I haven't seen that, but potentially. Okay, Matt. What's your obsession? Oh, mine's much less fun. I've been reading a book called Crossing the Line, uh, which is a, a by one of Australia's uh, most decorated investigative journalists, Nick McKenzie. And it's about his years-long um, pursuit of a story about Australia's most decorated war hero, um, Ben Robert Smith, who um, was this massive war hero uh, until five years ago or so when it emerged through Mackenzie's reporting that he um, perpetrated allegedly a bunch of war crimes. And the this book kind of details his quest as a journalist to uncover this whole thing and the defamation case that followed and the biggest defamation case in Australian history. Um, so a fascinating story, the whole thing, but then particularly as journalists, I think, really interesting to read about uh yeah how the top investigative journalists are dealing with issues of defamation and power and when you come up against people who have very deep pockets and who are willing to throw unlimited amounts of money at you to try and silence you when you hit a nerve um so a a fascinating read about a fascinating story and uh, really cool to get the behind the scenes look at how all that sort of thing works and uh yeah, I'd definitely recommend it for anyone that's followed that, that case over the last five years in Australia or has an interest in uh, investigative journalism and how that works. Just a nice happy note to end things on, right? Yeah, do it, does, does someone want to talk like about adult. another TV show so we can <laughs> so end it on something a bit nicer? <laughs> well, I have another confession to make of another show that I've started watching again. Please. Um, I've started from season one. I've gone back and I've started True Blood because it's also awful and great. It is awful and great. That is definitely <laughs> a description. I'm so sad. Uh, I feel like I've watched that like three times. So that's so good. It is good. I've I've been in a weird mood lately where I have a really hard time rewatching stuff that I've seen before, which is odd for me because I love a rewatch. Yeah, usually I don't like a rewatch, mm-hmm. and I've been rewatching stuff. I think I just want like comfort because I just I'm feeling a lot of feelings at the moment of lots of things and some of it's like rage and I just don't want to watch things that are enraging. Well, you should watch One Piece because it is the opposite of enraging. It's very cute but like just amazing characters and plot. Cool. Got it. Very exciting. All right. We'll wrap it up. Thanks so much everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about the Tour de Romandie. Have a great week. Thanks, you three.